Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. We once called normal has seemingly disappeared. There's uncertainty in the air, restlessness in our hearts. Things we once took for granted are becoming difficult to find. Our usual day-to-day has evolved into this odd chaos. Peace is becoming obsolete. Many have lost jobs, security, and those they love. The pain is undeniable. But what if our fragility caused us to lean harder into God? What if, in our weakness, we chose to rely more on His strength? Would our outlook change? Would the peace that passes understanding begin to drown out the noise of this moment? Would we walk in a quiet confidence, knowing our God is mighty to save? We're not promised tomorrow, but we are given a simple truth to stand on. Our God goes before us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Yes, life is fragile. But in our weakness, He is strong. Amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true? In our weakness, He is strong. I want to kind of dive into that uh, a little bit this morning as we uh, talk about uh, the journey back, the series of journey back, and we're on part four of the of the series. And if you if you uh, are interested, that we still have, uh, you can still go on the website and kind of catch the first three, and uh, they're all independent of each other. It's not like a, a soap opera where you got to kind of have been here the last time to understand what was going on uh, in in this one. Um, but I think that God's calling us back. I think before, before God can revive us, he first has to return us. And that's an important thing. Um, and so I want to talk about what I'm going to call the perfect storm. And I'm thinking that this is going to resonate with uh, a number of us because it certainly resonates with me. And what would I have to tell you if... Uh, i ask you a question. What would you do if you had... Um, billion dollars, not a million, not 6.4 million dollars, I'm talking about 6.4 billion dollars. Now that would kind of make life easier, perhaps, you know, I think I would have no problems thinking about how I'm going to pay my rent, uh, unless I've rented um, Ontario or something like that, Um, but that's not so much the case. That was actually what In today's vernacular, uh, Howard Hughes uh, would have owned when he died. I think his net worth when he died was like $1.5 billion, and he died close, and some of us don't know who Howard Hughes is. Um, But to me, Howard Hughes personifies, he is the poster child for what I will call um, the perfect storm. And I'm sure that you would agree with me. Now, Howard Hughes was kind of uh, an interesting individual, 
And he made all of his monies in the third his money in the 30s as he began to get involved in the oil industry, the entertainment industry, and the aviation industry. And he just seemed to have uh, the golden touch. And he dated uh, a number of the the uh, movie stars at that particular time. There was nothing that he couldn't do, and there were so many things that he was able to accomplish. And and he certainly was uh, one of those people that if if you were to see him in today's um, uh, society, you would not be able to miss this individual. He was so charismatic in everything that he do, did. And, and you would think this would be a type of person that as he ended his life would be able to sit by the pool uh, with some type of a drink that might have some type of an umbrella in it and to be able to lounge and take life easy. But in reality, the last 20 to 25 years of his life was spent in seclusion. That what it said about Howard Hughes is that he became so much of a prisoner to all the worries and all the fears and all the frustrations that were in his life that eventually he just put himself away from everyone. And it said that he spent hours and days and even months in a pitch black room. A lot of his days and his last days were spent in hotels where he would rent the whole floor. And if you wanted to get in contact with him, uh, there had to be a... a uh, a process where you de-germified yourself, and even then you could open the door, say a few words, and then you'd have to close it. He was so worried about germs, and he, he was so worried about so many different things that eventually he closed himself off. In the odd occasions where he actually did go outside, the chauffeur was instructed to never drive over 35 miles an hour. That if he were to go over a, a, a railway track, that he was supposed to reduce itself, himself to, to two miles an hour. He was afraid of dying. He was afraid of everything. He longer had clippers and his nails grew and his hair continued to grow and he never groomed himself and he died in that state. And the funny thing is he had everything, everything that you could possibly have, but he was subject to what I will call the big three. Apprehension, anxiety, and anger, worry, anger, and fear. Those three, they're a whirlwind. Now, the Bible basically says this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 8 um, a man's ransom is his wealth. A poor man, he sleeps easy. Is that kind of funny? That's true. That's what the scriptures actually talk about. What is it about? Apprehension, anxiety, and anger, worry, fear, and anger. They are equal opportunity cripplers. They are a triple cripple threat. And chances are, if you are here or if you're listening online, as I begin to talk about these, these three, there is probably one that you gravitate to more than the other. All three probably will affect us to a certain degree, but there just seems to be one that seems to hang on to us more than others. And oftentimes I have found this as I, I begin to think about it a little deeper, is that for those people who I've talked about in, in certain levels of this crippling aspect of things, is a lot of times if you hear the story, you'll find out that a lot of times that they were inherited, not always. Uh, didn't happen all the time. But many times if... Uh, if I saw and was talking to an angry person, I soon found out that their mom or their dad was angry. And so what, what happens is you kind of become a student before you become a master, and you become a victim before you are a perpetrator, and you, you were a, a prodigy before you became an authority. And, and what's worse in all this is, is the fact that 
As you grow up and those things reside in you, you all of a sudden take a look at your children and you begin to see the same things happen in your children. And does that not kill you to see those things happen in our lives when we see perhaps the worst of us in our children? And so the Bible talks about the fact that the devil comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And it's my contention that these three things that we're talking about perhaps do the most. Think of it this way. If all of a sudden Satan were to operate in a way that you were to lose all of your money, the fact that you lose your money may be bad enough, but it will be the worry that comes as a result. What am I going to do now? I don't have any money. How am I going to take care of myself? That'll soon turn into fear. What's next? What's going to take place? I'm vulnerable. Perhaps you get a little bit angry. What does this mean? Why do people do that? How can someone take, take my money away from me? You see, that, that they always seem to be in the room when there's trouble. Now, Paul, when he's talking to the Galatian church, one of the first churches in the, the New Testament, um, he begins to express something which I think gives us a clue to help us. And it's, it's one that, a passage that is probably amongst the most popular in the book of Galatians. And he's talking about the fact that there is what is called the works of the flesh, the default in us, and the terrible things that result as a fact. But he says, you know what? As you know Jesus, and as the Spirit of God resides in you, there is something better that comes about. And it will combat what I think is this perfect storm. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. For those of us who kind of are are, uh, mature in the Word, we've kind of heard of this before, but it's found in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then it goes on in in verse 23, and it says gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, which is passions, and desires. And he kind of ends with a really great statement in verse 25. And he says this, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, the closer I walk to Jesus, the less I have love, joy, and peace, these wonderful things. But I think Satan's counterpart is apprehension, anxiety, and anger. Dale Carnegie, one of the, uh, the first leadership gurus, kind of says this. You know what? You're often not tired by the work that you do. Many times you are, you are fatigued by the worry, the frustration, and the resentment that comes. And the medical community will agree with this. If you talk to the medical professions, they will say that these culprits are responsible for stuff like hypertension and heart disease and autoimmune disorders and arthritis and lupus and multiple sclerosis and panic attacks and heart palpitations and migraine headaches and fibromyalgia. And this is the thing. What you feel emotionally emotionally will become how you feel physically. These damaging emotions become deadly diseases and They just don't stay in your head. They begin to transfer into your body and then they leak into your relationships and you find yourself at a place where you are robbed and they eat away from you. They're kind of the cannibal of the soul and and you have to ask, how do we deal with this? Particularly when we are living in a day with so much stress. 
It's not so much that it is the worry, and it's not so much that it is the fear, and it's not so much that it is the anger, but it's the combination of the three that we need to take a look at. And what happens, something that was a trickle before COVID is now a channel which is cut into our hearts and our lives, and we begin to call out to God and say, God, I need to return. I need to get back to the person who I was before. We all know about worry. Worry is that kind of that continual mental distress, that agitation, that unhealthy focus on things that render you helpless if you surrender to it. Someone said this, worry doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles. It just takes away today's peace. It doesn't empty you of tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties you today of your, your strength. And ask yourself this, a year ago today, what was it that you were worrying about? Chances are it's been gone a long time ago. You treat every situation like a life and death matter. You die a lot of times. You end up crossing bridges that you never come to. You end up paying bills that never ever come in. You know, worry gives us a small thing, makes a small thing to cast a big shadow. I remember Rick Warren talking about worry in his book, What on Earth Am I Here For? And he was talking about meditation and how important it is for us to meditate on the things of God. And he said, there's someone who had argued with him and said, I really don't know what it is like to meditate. And he says, you know what it's like to worry? He said, of course. He says, then you know what it's like to meditate. Because that's basically what worry is. It's meditating on the wrong thing. Keeping your mind on the wrong things. It is an unhealthy preoccupation. It is when you uh, attach yourself to problems that have never, ever attached themselves to you. Um, worry sucks the joy out of the here and now. They actually did a study on worry. And I'm not too sure exactly all the things that they had done, but they realized with this particular case study of all these people who had a propensity to worry that 91.4% of all the things that they were worrying about never, ever even happened. Never took place. And Jesus basically says, as he's on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, can you add one hour to your life just by worrying? It's impossible. You can't do it. And so you have worry that all of a sudden sometimes becomes the cousin to fear. And the thing is, sometimes where worry ends, sometimes fear begins. And we're not too sure where the one starts and the other doesn't. But the scriptures talk about it. It, it, talks, it talks about the fact that that, that fear is something which is bad. Do you know what the, the number one, in 2020, the number one looked up passage of scripture was Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not. That's what it was. There's lots of acronyms for fear. You know, F-E-A-R. The most famous one, I think, is this. False events appearing real. Someone once said it this way. There's two acronyms for fear. One is this, forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. The choice is yours. Fear is basically this. Fear is faith in the enemy. It is faith in the wrong thing. If I'm fearful, that means that I'm not really trusting in God. I'm trusting that, that the, the enemy that I have is the thing that is actually um, going to um, win. And Fear, they say, is the dark room where negatives are developed. It kind of steals the joy. It steals the dream. It steals the, the, uh, the thing inside of us that, that is content um, in the Lord. And uh, I have found this about fear. 
that fear has often been the thing that has been between myself and, and most of the important things that I've wanted in life. you find that to be true? That of the most important things that I have desired, I've had to kind of go through this corridor of fear to get to them. Helen Keller said this about fear. Avoiding danger and taking the risk ultimately have the same pitfalls. So when you get down to it, the fearful are caught just as often as the bold are. Interesting, isn't it? And then let's talk about the third one. Anger. Well, none of us have a problem with anger. I'm sure I should probably, I don't know, maybe we'll just say this for some of the people who are online who've kind of scraggled in and you haven't really, you know, we'll talk to you about that there because we know that nobody in this congregation has a problem with anger. Or do we? Um, there's a reason why Ephesians 4 says, be angry and sin not. And don't let the devil get his foot in the door. There's a reason why James says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry because anger does not bring the righteousness that God desires in your life. It, there are so many things. We live in an angry society and we're angry over things that have just happened and we're angry over things that happened years ago and we're angry over things in some cases that happened generations ago. Someone once said, ask a person if they have an anger problem, and then go driving with them and see if that's true. I don't know what it is about driving, but I have come to find that when I drive, I seem to be the only perfect driver. That obviously, those people who are driving slower than me are, are overly cautious, and those people who are driving faster than me are absolutely maniacs. And really, when it comes to it, I don't realize why some people are kind of driving around nowhere. When I need to get from point A to point B, I wish they would just stay home. Anger starts even in our cars. And um, we live in an angry society. Someone once said this. Anger is like you sitting down at a meal and you, you, enjoy, the, you enjoy the fact that you've You've thought about all these wonderful things that you're going to say and the scrumptiousness of, 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 uh, of getting back at this individual and saying the things that you are. And when you get up, you realize that the meal that you ate was yourself. Ultimately, it is you that is, that is the one that deals with it um, the most. Someone once said this, anger is like taking a hot coal and throwing it at someone else. Ultimately, usually... The only one who gets burned is yourself. And the thing is, we can now vent our rage from the safety of our computer, our tablet, our phone. And um, there are so many reasons to be angry. And if you just take a look at the last year, there was some racial anger that really bubbled up. And, and as we took a look at the election, Last November, just a few months ago, I don't know about you, but I kind of sensed a little bit of anger there. What do you think? Things got pretty bad. And now we're stuck in a pandemic. And I'm just beginning to feel things rise up. And the thing is that Christians are beginning to get angry as well. And we get frustrated over the deterioration of the morals in our community and the inability to meet and the loss of our freedom and the length of time that we've been stuck in this. And, 
And so what happens as Christians many times is we will find a scripture because scripture as a soapbox that we can show our justification of our anger, that we can express our right for the feelings that we have. But then all of a sudden I begin to realize that when I went to the cross, that I went to Jesus, that is one of the rights that I actually gave to him. Pastor Mike, you seem to know a lot about this anger thing. Yeah, it's probably the first thing that comes out of me when I haven't given everything to Jesus. And um, all these things come into play. And so what happens is what we have is what I call the perfect storm. Because you say, why would you mention all three? You can just talk about worry one week. You can talk about fear the next week. And you can talk about anger the next week. But as the Spirit of God has spoken to my heart, I believe that the problem is all three. I believe that there is a perfect storm that has brewed in our midst, in our community, in our world. You all know what the perfect storm is. The perfect storm actually literally is something which happens, many times it happens in the Atlantic Ocean. And so there are these large gale force torrential winds that come from the cold. And then there's this hot hurricane that comes from the south. And it meets at a time where there is an undercurrent. And the currents are working and swirling at a certain temperature at a certain time. And it is a perfect storm. There is pandemonium that has happened, and they, they uh, wrote a story. They did a movie called The Perfect Storm. It was about a, a ship which is called the Andrea Gale, and, and they got caught in the middle of this perfect storm, and they never even found the ship, never found anyone. No one had survived the ship. And, and so what happens is I look at this, and I see the spiritual implications in my own heart and head. I realize that there's, there's this cold wind of worry that, that is meeting up with a, a warm wind of fear, and there's an undercurrent of resentment and anger, and there's a perfect storm that is among us. And I'm afraid that there are a number of us that are almost at the point where we were sinking. We get inundated with anger and fear and worry, and you say, let's just get rid of it. How do I get rid of it, God? And I don't even have to be talking to a church crowd to say, hey, it's not good for you. You don't have to be coming to a church. You don't have to be uh, professing a faith in Christ to realize that worry is bad for you. You don't, have to, you don't have to have a degree in theology to realize that fear is bad for you. You don't have to have all these things to realize that anger is going to kill you. It is right there in the face of everyone. We all realize that this is the, the, the fact. So I could give you a whole bunch of scriptures. I can say, hey, fear is bad. Here's the scriptures. Don't do it anymore. But I'm thinking this, that if you could have gotten rid of it, you would have done so a long time ago. And I can't help but think that there might be some people who are in this congregation, some people who are on the online congregation, and you're saying, I'm here and I'm done. I don't know exactly what to do. How do I get myself back? And if that is you, and I'm not too sure who might be in this group, I've got three things that I want to talk to you about. And three things, and if you have your notes here, if you want to write them down, they're this. The first one is seek deliverance. The other one is to serve daily. And the other one is to see the distortion. 
All three are necessary. You kind of see it in Galatians chapter 5 and also in, in the book of John. We'll kind of take a look at another thing. And I don't want to take too, long, too much of your time, but I think this is important. First thing is this, to seek deliverance. Basically, what Paul says is you need to go to the Spirit. That too many times we try and solve these problems ourselves, but you can't solve these problems yourselves. What you need is the healing power of the Holy Spirit. What you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What you need is for God to extricate these things from your life, because if you could have, you would have done it before. And what you need is healing. What we need is a time at the altar. What we need is a time where we say, I've got this. I can't get rid of it. I need God to heal me. If you came in here and said, I've got cancer. I don't know what to do. The doctors say there's nothing they can do about it. Well, we would be all over you with prayers and hands and anointing of oil saying, God, heal this person. By your stripes, we are healed. Is it any different when the problem is so deep emotionally that we can't do anything, that we are so stuck and we are so paralyzed by these things? I think that the healing still remains the same. When, when the Bible says, you shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Does that mean it's just physical? I think it's talking about mental illness. It's talking about emotional illness. It's talking about spiritual illness. The first thing we need to do is we need to seek the Lord. You can read books which are good. You can go to a seminar, which is wonderful. You can find a counselor, and I'm hoping that they will point you to Jesus in this whole process. All these are good things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, deliverance comes from God. It comes from the Spirit of God. We need to have a time where we say, okay, this is me. I need healing. And if you're here and you're here physically, we... I, and open up the altars. We're going to pray for you. We'll anoint you with oil from a distance, then, or, and then we'll, we'll pray for you from a distance. If you're, you're online and you're saying, hey, come on, I need that help, then hey, get in contact with us whatever way you, way you can, online or offline, whatever the case is. We need to seek deliverance. Amen? All right. Second one is this, serve daily. This whole thing about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is that it is a daily walk. It is something that we do every day. Fruit is something that comes as a result of walking every day with God. So deliverance can come right away, but deliverance also comes daily, not just in a day. Continually giving it to Him. The best, the best illustration that I can give you is this. For those of you who like to keep a nice, pristine lawn, for those of you who don't, you won't get this. But for those of you who really, really like a nice green lawn and you hate weeds, this one's for you. Because you will have discovered if you cut your lawn all the time and you like to have a, a nice, clean, well-groomed lawn, that you will get weeds. Weeds will come in. But this is the one thing that I have discovered, that where the grass is weak, the weeds are strong. Where there is no grass, there are lots of weeds that I have to pull. And even though I pull them, I will have to pull them again in two weeks. So I have a decision. I will either pull weeds every couple weeks, or I will work to make the grass strong. Because where the grass is strong, where there's lots of grass, there's no room for weeds. Does that make sense to you? The same thing happens in the spiritual life. The more of God that you have in an area, the less chance you will have for weeds, which is why we walk in the Spirit, which is why we continually walk a surrendered life to the power of God and the Holy Spirit, which resides in us. To serve daily, to seek deliverance, to serve daily. 
Third one's an important one. See the distortion. Have you ever realized that a majority of your worries and your fears and even of your angers are not so much based on truth, but very much on half-truth. And um, I believe that sometimes we find ourselves in these places because we believe things which are distorted, perhaps exaggerated, perhaps half-truth, perhaps bent truth, perhaps unsubstantiated truth, and we put all our marbles on those things which we think are true but actually are not. That's why James 4, verse 32 says, you will know the truth, and it is the truth that's going to set you free. Now, some people have said, well, okay, if I just believe kind of things that are true, then I'm going to be okay. Well, when Jesus is talking about the truth, he's talking about himself, that he is the truth. As in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's interesting when Jesus was talking to Pontius Pilate in, in John chapter 18, verse 38, Jesus begins to talk about the truth, and Pilate comes up with something that says this, what is truth? Really, what is truth? And that's a question we often ask ourselves today. I don't know what the truth is. I don't know what information I'm getting, whether it is true or not. Do you not find that? Does that not hit you sometimes? I'm not too sure exactly what truth is. What is your source of truth? I'll tell you this. The media is not a real good source of truth because the media is looking for ratings. The media is looking as to how you can tune into their channel. And if they can sensationalize a story, and if they can keep the story going, and if they can keep your interest going, and if they can keep your worry and fear levels high, then it's better for them. It's not in our government opinion. And I'm not anti-government in any way. But ultimately, there is another agenda because those people who are in government want to stay in government. And so what they will do is tell you the things which are best for them to stay in power. Not so much in the medical community because many times the medical community disagrees. And uh, the scientific community sometimes disagrees. And sometimes we think, which is true scientifically, we find out six months later may not be the case. It is a shifting sand to say the least. Our source of truth does not come from religious people. I know, okay, I know I'm starting to tread on, on thin water here when I say it doesn't, doesn't relatively stand on religious people. But during this pandemic, there have been things that have been emailed to me. There have been things that have, have been messaged to me about things that individuals are saying. And as I have observed them, found out that they have been fabrications based on what they have wanted to think was true. And there is no accountability. And we need to rifle through the truth. We have not done ourselves any favors by some of the things that have come out. I remember that, that a number of months ago, there was a number of prophetic people who were saying, Donald Trump will win the election. Fear not, it is a prophetic word, Donald Trump is in, and Donald Trump's not in. And so I asked myself, who are these people accountable to? What exactly is truth? Ultimately, at the end of the day, our truth is found in the Word of God. 
And that is what we stand on. And that is what we stay on. And um, when we don't, there's just so many things that seem to creep in. Personally, on a personal level, I've come to realize this. That many of the things that we are having to deal with right now are based on the fact that we have absolutely abandoned the ninth commandment. Do you remember the ninth commandment? I'll sure not bear false witness against your neighbor. In order to fulfill my agenda, I will tell the other person something which isn't really true. In order to get my point across, I'm going to somehow misinform or I will think things so much in my terms that I will be blind to the truth that is perhaps on the other side of the argument. And so we have rallies of racial inequality and people who are angry with each other and people who are saying one thing while the other people are saying the other. And we have elections where people are storming the gates of the... Of the uh, Capitol Hill or whatever we want to call it. People are just angry because this is the truth. Well, no, no, no. This is the truth. And no, no, no. This is the truth. And now we're in a pandemic and here's the pastor. I'm just trying to figure out, God, what is truth? Give me some wisdom on how to, how to navigate in an atmosphere where I'm not too sure what the truth is. So what I have to do is I need to get my wisdom and I listen to whoever and all the things that are going on and try and gain as much of my own strength as I can. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the decision that I want to make is the one from God. Is that not the same for you? Because when that takes place, there's a level of confusion which leads to a level of worry, which leads to a level of fear and anger and it builds up and it stirs it's not just worry and it's not just fear and it's not just anger it's the fact that we're caught up in this level of emotion that I think God wants to deliver us from maybe you're here maybe you're caught and you're just saying God how do I get out how do, how do I hand this to you you may not be Howard Hughes if you're here today you're not sitting in a room by yourself. You all look fairly well shaven. Let's take a look at your fingernails. You guys are okay? Yeah. You're not Howard Hughes. But if you're honest, you can say, you know what? I'm not myself. Not myself, but I want to get back to the person that I was. I need to give it to Jesus. I need to give it all to him. Because when these three things park in your drawer, it's very hard to evict them. A lot of people say, okay, well, once, once we get through this pandemic, I will go back to being more of a normal human being. No. When these things come in and reside in your life, they don't want to leave. What we need to pray for is deliverance. What we need to pray for is a God who can deliver us from these things. And what I want to happen today, online, or whether you are here, is to be able to leave some of these things at the altar. To allow God to move and give us the freedom that he had died for. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he took away the hostility, basically is what the word of God says, the hostility between God and man. 
took away the worry and the fear of where we're going to be spending in eternity. And when you accept him, if you ask Jesus into your heart, it takes those things away. Heart of the gospel is on the release of worry and fear and anger. And if you're here listening online, we're going to talk about that as we go. But I just want to close in one song. And I want to pray a prayer of release of the Spirit of God to move. And, and uh, we're going to dismiss. And anyone who wants prayer, we're going to pray for you. We're going to trust that God's going to move. Is that time we just spent that time praying and asking God to move, do miraculous things? Amen? Okay, half of you. Amen? All right, all right. God move us. We worship you in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.